And we'll, uh, we'll jump in right here. Jesus, thanks for a gorgeous autumn day and for a chance to do what we're doing. I just pray for clarity and understanding. I pray for focus. Help us to uh, maybe even get inspired a little bit to, to comment and to write about Twelfth Night. Uh, more so that we would capture what we've learned in a creative way. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let me get a little sip here. So, the assignment is a letter to a literary critic. We're done with Twelfth Night, right? And so when we're done studying it, we're not quite done because you're in a literature class, you're in an English class. And I have a hunch that some of you, if not most of you, have in the past month talked to someone about Twelfth Night, yeah? Had a conversation. Where's that conversation now? It, it's gone. Right? Maybe you remember it. Maybe you already actually forgot it. You know that you talked. You don't remember what you said. This sounds a little trite, maybe a little silly, but in some respects, that's why you write papers in English class. <laughs> if we talk about Twelfth Night, you might have a fantastic conversation, but unless it's written down, it's what? It's gone. And so that's why we have these literary critics and their quotes. They wrote their literary criticism down. They wrote it down. They made it available for us to engage in their conversation. If we pick up their book or their article or their essay, we can be part of that conversation because they wrote it down. That's what you guys are going to be doing. You're looking at what people have said before. We spend, what, four and a half weeks, five weeks studying it, talking about it, engaging with it, watching it, reading it. And now you get to be in the conversation with your voice as well. And if we talk about it, great, we might have a good discussion. But what we're going to do is we're going to write it down. Interestingly, I'm choosing the format of a letter to one of these critics, right? Some of them are alive. What could you do? You could send it to them. Kind of fun when students do that. We now have a literary and a scientific journal at Wheaton Academy. What's it called? <laughs> With, with Mr. Regan and we don't you guys don't know it? Ratio, right? We've got ratio here at Weed Academy. It's a real journal that's published that people can read and purchase and have as part of our culture and the global culture and the larger culture, depending how big or small it goes and stays or wherever it ends up. But you can be published here at Wheaton Academy. That's cool, too. And he takes submissions from my Shakespeare classes and my philosophy classes as well. So I want you to consider this as more than just a paper for me. Now, you, of course, that's kind of what it is. It's practice for college. It's, it's important to be able to write like this. You did junior research paper. This is an English class. You're moving on to school, so it's another opportunity. But I'm choosing this format for these reasons and also to give you just kind of the general context of why we are doing these papers. Fair enough? Couple minutes, onward. You should be looking at this page, period two. Whoa, too far. Go to assignments. I don't think you guys have the filter, do you? Filter, this school year published, apply, all the different ones that we've got. Everybody click on letter to a critic. See it, letter to a critic, click on it. You should be staring at this page now. Whoa, no, not that page. <laughs> this, no, not that page either. Where is it? Here it is. This page, all right. <laughs> you should be staring at that page, okay? So it should be your assignment. Your culminating assignment for 12th night is a response to a professional literary critic. It's due on, on campus, on or before October 13th, okay? Yeah? October 13th. 1,000 to 1,300 words. You're responding to one of the quotes from this packet or another favorite quote that you have on Twelfth Night from somewhere. All right, it's a formal letter. You can agree or disagree to what they say, but then you need to say something. You need to have your own thesis statement or your own claim. I like the word claim because it's like you're and you're sticking your flag in it and this is my claim and I'm going to defend it and this is what I believe. All right? 
Um, you should speak with authority using warranted evidence to support your own claim. Warranted evidence. That goes back to doing your research paper with your evidence and your you know, works cited page, etc. But if I came to your house and I knocked on the door and I wanted to come in, you're allowed to say what? No. And then I go, I have a what? Search warrant. Warrant, which gives me what? Search warrant. It gives me authority to enter your house. It gives me authority. Everybody got that? My brain is reading your paper. I'm connecting with what you're saying. If there's no authority behind it, if there's no warrant in your evidence, am I going to let it in? No. It's just going to stay out there on your little sheet of paper or on the screen. Without the authority behind it, sorry, not going to happen. That's going to be the same for any of these literary critics. So when you find evidence, it needs to be what kind of evidence? Warranted evidence, good evidence, solid evidence, evidence that we're going to trust. Remember they had the literary intelligentsia, so they don't want to be distracted by poor grammar and typos, right? <laughs> yes, uh, that means you need to get a peer review or a good editor for your paper before you hand it in. I am requiring you to have an edited, marked up, rough draft that's signed by your editor that you're going to give to me. I won't grade your paper until I have that. And if you submit your paper without that, then what you submitted is your rough draft. And you need to go get it edited. Does that make sense? Yeah? So we need to print it out and then have the person have an edit mark it up. Get a pen. Green. I like go. Green is go, right? Don't use red. Oof. Right? So green, mark it all up. They make comments. They find the typos. They scratch stuff up. They give you suggestions. They sign it. They date it. Then you take that and do what? Make the changes, and then you submit that, and either a PDF of the one that you had, or you give me the hard copy, either way. You can also use Google Docs, where you can have the Google editing thing on there, where they can edit right along, or Word has the same thing, where you can mark up the document with comments. All those are fine. Just print off the marked up one before you, you know, check them all and get rid of them. Yeah? Don't be the sophomore who literally did this. I said, make sure you have an editor. Sophomore gets an editor, hands it in. The paper was not great. I looked at the paper. The one that they had originally was better, but they had given it. I, I can't tell what's on your screen. Is it this? Because it doesn't, it seems like it's more entertaining than what I'm talking about. Oh, no, about. it's literally, it says, stop looking at my screen, be behind me. <laughs> Okay, so that's fun. No, that's yeah. funny. It's funny, but distracting. Okay, Is that fair? Funny. Yes. Okay. But funny. Funny-ish? Yeah. Maybe? Funny. Yeah, that's pretty clever. It's pretty clever. Thank right. <laughs> it's actually really funny. <laughs> I'm not supposed to admit that. All right. All right, onward. So with the editor piece, this sophomore got his sixth grade sister to edit it, and she made it worse and he still made the changes. When I, and I'm like, what are you thinking? He's like, well, you said to get an editor. What kind of editor do you need to get? A good one, right? Trish Maine has an editor. Corey Hockett has an editor. I have an editor. I need an editor. We all need editors. When you go to college, you should never hand in a paper that's not edited. Sorry, you shouldn't. Don't do it, okay? You're good, you're not that good, no offense, all right? So you needed that practice, you need to be in the practice of it, and you need to go find one, get a good one. And for, I don't want to use the word most, but from my experience, most of your parents should not be your editors. Fair enough? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that, so maybe your peers, maybe a parent, if that parent knows how to spell and knows grammar and knows how to write, you're not allowed to pick another English teacher in the academy. That's not fair. They already have 100 students that they're grading. Yes? And that's, but see, Tyson, that's my point. You need to find someone. You've got to get a good friend who can do it. You've got to go find someone to help you out. You've got to do that in college. You've got to do that in your job. Unless you become an editor. But actually, all the editors that I've talked to have editors. <laughs> How ironic, yes? Because we need another set of eyes. The other thing you can do 
is read your paper out loud, you'll find 80% of your errors and grammar issues by simply reading it out loud to someone. To someone. Actually, the best thing to do is to have your editor read it out loud to you. Because the editor will find stuff as they read it out loud, and you'll hear your own paper and be like, oh my gosh, what am I saying? That doesn't make any sense. Who wrote this? Okay. Good? I don't know why these are little cues. They're supposed to be boxes. But if you check box, go check, 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 you'll do great. Okay? I don't mind spark notes or cliff notes or whatever notes you want to use, but I had one student in last class say, but the spark notes on this issue is really good. I'm like, great, who wrote it? Yeah? If they find out the person who wrote it and they find out their credentials and it's warranted and solid, then great, use it. That's fine. Don't just do spark notes. You've got to know who the author is and what their credentials are. Does that make sense? That's what we're doing. That's junior research paper stuff. Okay. So I, you have to go that deep. Um, the other thing that you can keep in mind here is I gave you the Oxford. Some of you actually did it. Some of you haven't yet. But there's 80 pages of literary criticism at the beginning of this book. And is it warranted? Yeah, yeah it's Oxford. <laughs> so you can find three quotes from Twelfth Night, use something from those first 80 pages, find a quote from the list, write your paper, you're good. Um, it's due October 13th, so that's a week from Tuesday. Everybody got that? Yes? That gives you, what, 10 days to write it? And then would anybody potentially need more time or want an extension? Anybody out there? Nobody? Huh? You, you will? Yeah. Okay, great. You can have a week. How about an extra week? Oh, Does anybody else want an extra week? <laughs> extension? Yeah? Okay, I did this for a fourth period and last period. You all have it as well. You know, everybody's got a one-week extension. Sound good? And by the way, thanks. <laughs> or at least thank him later. But here's the scoop. When's it, ready? When's it due? No, when's it due? It's due the 13th. Everybody got that? It is due on the 13th. But I know what it's like to be in high school. And I know what it's like to be in the middle of a pandemic, right? And I know that often we just need more time. So guess what you all got? More time. It's still due on the 13th, but on the 20th, if I don't have it, you're getting a zero. Okay? Until you give it to me. Is that? But it, that zero will go in, and it'll go to the front office, and it'll go to your house, and it'll go to ineligibility, and it'll do all that stuff now, because it's not a little homework assignment. It's like your paper. Everybody got that? So don't come to me on the 20th and say, can I have an extension? Because I already gave you what? A whole week. Everybody got that? Did everybody get that? Yeah, I need nods or shakes. We're good? We're good. Yes? So are there no point deductions if you turn it in past the 13th to the 20th? Nope. No point deduction at all, right? And then let's say you hand it in on the 15th and you get an 82 and you're a little bummed because you got a B minus. Guess what you can do for me in my classes? If you would like a higher grade, you can revise it and you can get more points. And then you end up with a 94. And, but you really want a 98, so what can you do? Revise it again and make it better and get a 99. And what did you just learn? that you can get a 99, but what did it take you? Three revisions. Great, take that to college with you. That's an awesome skill. <laughs> you know you can get an A, but you have to revise it three times. Cool. <laughs> yeah? Does that make sense? So you can get the grade you want. That's 100% on you. I will help you get there however I can. I am not your editor, so keep that in mind. And I'm actually not gonna teach you how to write the paper you kind of should know how to by now. Does that make sense? If you need help, I will help you. But this is more of an assessment versus writing class and instruction on it. That's what you guys got for the past three or four, six, eight years. Yes? Yeah. How's that sound? Yeah, you got it. You totally got it. I'm going to spend some more time talking us through it, but that's just, I want to be sure, like, 
basic structure of what we're doing. How we got, everybody got it? We're good? Yes? So here's a couple other things then. Ready? Scroll down. Here's the project info. So that's what I already put that right here. So you don't need to open that one. But I want everybody to click on the rubric. Okay? There's the rubric. I've had 20 years to make the rubric. I went to a conference on making rubric. <laughs> there still might be a typo, sorry. But if you find one, let me know. You always get mints when you find my typos. Um, but this is a nice two-page detailed rubric. So guess what? If you want an A, what should you do? Follow the rubric. Yeah, do these things, and then you get an A. If you want to see, what can you do? Follow the rubric. Yeah, go right over here and like, do the below standard stuff, and then you get a C. You'll be fine, right, if that's what you want. Does that make sense? Like, it's all right there. <laughs> Everybody got that? Thesis statement is worth 10 points. Make a good one. Get some good analysis going. You need three pieces of evidence. That's 15 points. It's five points per piece of quote, right? For quote, for Shakespeare. You have to have a source. It's worth 10 points. If you don't have one, it's over here to incomplete. Then you got to redo your paper or at least add the source. How well it flows yeah, that matters a big deal for a literary critic when they're reading it. Do you have transitions? Does it like make sense as a paper? How's your intro? How's your conclusion? Eight points for mechanics. I definitely don't want to be distracted by your typos. And is it college prep? That's kind of me saying, ooh, you're rocky. This is awesome. You'll do great in college. This one's like, eh, not so much. Yeah, cool. You're kind of crazy not to follow the rubric. I gave it to you. It tells you what to do. At least use that to check it before you hand it to me, because what am I using to grade you? That. Right there. Onward. Oh, I like that. Okay, so next we've got meaning making with Shakespeare. I'm going to be doing this with you guys for a few minutes in just a second. That gives you literary critical technique and options. A model paper by Daniel Spiata. You definitely do not need to write like Daniel Spiata, okay? It's way over the top. And he knows it, and he just had some fun with it. So I thought I'd put it in there. But you know what? It's kind of a fun, creative, interesting, unique paper from a long time ago. What, what was the date here? He wrote it. He's one of my students. He's great. Yeah, he's, he was in my class, and he wrote it a long time ago. So... He is definitely putting down Richard Levin's quote, saying, I don't agree. Okay, nice job, Daniel Spiata, not agreeing. All right. Um, the other one is a cover page by Bobby Grafinski. He's got like seven outside sources. I didn't even put his paper up there. He wrote like a 12-page paper, way over the top. Didn't need to do it, but it's Daniel Grafinski. He's a lawyer now, and he loves writing, and he's amazing at writing, and great guy. Okay. Hilma and David Peterson are kind of your regular everyday Shakespeare students and they wrote some good papers. Is that fair? So you could probably do better than they did or worse, but if you do what they did, you'll do fine. Does that sound good? So I gave you three models. I strongly recommend you read those. You've got a rubric, right? I'm available. We got Monday to get started. You got two weeks, really, right? Are we, everybody else set? We're rolling. Any other questions? That's why we're here. I'm letting you see it. I'm talking about it. I've been redundant now, so I've talked about it twice. Yeah? Cool. Okay. Let's do this then. Meaning making with Shakespeare's place. It's got the old logo. I got to hide that. There we go. Okay. So meaning making with Shakespeare play. Um, this handout. I want everybody to have that in front of their faces so you can look at a few things. And during this talk, I want a little bit of interaction. But I also think that some of you on page two are going to love doing some research on some of these literary critical techniques and theories, okay? I used to spend three days teaching this stuff because I love it. <laughs> but now I spend 15 minutes because not everybody else does. Fair enough? But I can't let it Go, because there's enough of you in the room who are going to get inspired by one of these things. So pretend your brain is a big ball of Velcro right now, and I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of stuff at you for about 15 minutes, and one of them might like <gasps> Marxist theory. Ooh, I want to write about money, I mean, whatever. So if something sticks, great. If not, it was only 15 minutes, so move on to whatever you want to do. Fair enough? I think also, though, for some of you, if something sticks, 
I'm not, I used to teach on this. I'm not teaching on it anymore. So you kind of have to do your own legwork. Just Google any of these titles or isms. If you Google them, boom, you'll have plenty of info to learn more. Agreed? Okay. How to make meaning out of a piece of literature, let alone Shakespeare. Well, one, know the plot and the characters. Do you guys know the plot and the characters? Come on. Do you know it? Yeah, you know. Find some issues. Do we have any themes? Some issues. Yeah, you all got themes and issues. Next, did you gather evidence? Did you do your homework? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But if you did, guess what? If you did your homework, you only have to have three quotes for your paper. And you already have, I think, 18 now, right? Plus, you've already written four paragraphs. Right? I'm trying to help you out, right? Like, I'm on your side. Whether you believe it or not, I'm on your side. Okay? And then the last one is to create a warrant and develop claims. You have all this information. We watched the play. We studied the play. And now it's time to say something about it. And let's say something that's worth saying. This used to be an in-class homework assignment. It would be what I'd have you do on Monday for homework, but I'm not going to make you do that for lots of reasons. But Monday will be available to do this. Okay. One, you should set some realistic goals. Second, you should brainstorm. What could I say about Twelfth Night? Think back to all the lessons. All those crazy times we pulled it off the screen. Remember the party, you know, the, the drunken party one, or the letter, right? Or getting locked in the dark house, or, you know, I, the, putting, the fool putting on the priest garments. Kind of, there's lots of things we've talked about. So brainstorm. Dialogue, talk with each other. That's not cheating. Help each other out. That's great. And then number four, though, is where I need your attention for this. And then we'll get to the second page. Most of you have been writing thesis statements for school, homeschool, or here, or co-op, or somewhere. You've been writing a thesis statement. And there is a difference between a thesis statement where it's really a report, <laughs> right? And a thesis statement where it's a claim, and you're defending that claim because it's arguable. And then it's a thesis statement that's a college-level, analytical, rich, deep, powerful, compelling thesis statement that you're supporting that I want to read. <laughs> Got it? We're looking for this one over here. Yes? It's actually the one, if you get to this point, it's the one you want to write. Especially at this level. It's more compelling. So what I have found is really important to do is everybody think about Twelfth Night right now. And think of just some obvious statement about the play. So somebody pick a character and make a statement about this character. Toby or Viola or Malvolio. Ready, go. Somebody help me out. Yeah. Toby likes to drink. Great, okay. Let's give it up right there. So ready? Toby likes to drink. Can we maybe say Toby likes to drink too much? Yes. Okay. So Toby likes to drink too much. Ready? Done. In junior high, could you say, in 12th note, 12th night, Toby likes to drink too much. And then you have paragraph number one, in act two, drunken party, act, and then you just do your paper. That's, that's a report. Everybody got that? But I, everybody in the room, I want you to hear me. I think you need to start there. And then you got to do the Olaf thing, which is so fantastic. <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah, why? <laughs> right, remember? Yeah, why? Yeah, why? Yeah, why? Okay, so Toby likes to drink. Now, anybody can help, but do you mind if we go for it? Toby likes to drink. Okay, why? Why does Toby like to drink? Um, because he's, like, old and alone. Okay, ready? So Toby <laughs> likes to drink too much because he's older and he's alone. Why? Um, because he's very unappealing to others. Why? <laughs> like, you see what's happening right now? I'm going to, you'll get annoyed at me, but, but you, is it helpful? So like we went from Toby likes to drink to because he's alone, because he's annoying. Well, why is he so annoying? But ready, that might be part of it as well. And maybe he's in this horrible cycle called alcoholism, you know, like, oh, right. Yeah, so fair enough. But we can even go farther though, ready? Uh, fourth period yesterday, we went, did the Toby's an alcoholic and we did the yeah, why, yeah, why, yeah, why, yeah, why. But could we even get to some of these places? Is he an alcoholic because he's so lonely, because he's a jerk, because he's an alcoholic? So that's one. Well, why is he an alcoholic, though? Well, he's lonely. Well, his brother died, 
last year and his nephew just died? Does he not know how to deal with death? We can write about that, right? Does he have any real purpose in life right now? Is he serving God, developing the kingdom? Is he helping other people out? Is he helping the homeless in Illyria? Is he doing anything? No, so he's bored with an absurd existence, with death all around him, and he's trapped in alcoholism. That's a lot different than Toby likes to drink, right? But where did we start? Toby, does that make sense? Are we tracking? And so the yeah, why game, I'd like you to do that at least three or four times with whatever, with whatever thesis statement you write. Yeah, why? Yeah, why? And keep digging. That's actually a silly but really simple, powerful tool as you head off to college. Yeah? At least go three or four levels into that. Nice work. Thank you. Let's give it up right there. Thank you. Let's pick one more. One more, yeah. Oh, I have a question. Yeah. Because um, for my like, demons and love, yeah. can I go into like, disguise or yeah. like, up of the Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Your theme that you followed was to practice. Does that make sense? And to find stuff. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. I don't care what you write about. You write about any theme, any quotes. You're not locked in. But I also know as a teacher that some of us are six weeks into school. I have to write a paper. I don't know what to write about. Well, write about whatever your theme. Does that make sense? So I kind of, we use that as practice to find quotes and to follow a theme. Does that make sense? So it's good practice. And that will dump into your paper really well. Or you have all these quotes. You only need three. Do whatever you want. That makes sense? I'm glad you said that. I forgot to say that. So do one more obvious statement in 12th night. Give me one more obvious one. Yeah. Olivia wants Viola to love her. OK. Olivia wants, ready? Olivia wants Viola, which is Cesario, right? But Cesario, Viola, to love her. Ready? Yeah. Why? <laughs> like, why does she want him or her him? Him or yeah. um, why is she lonely? Because her family died. Okay, now do we go, why did the family die? We stop there. Okay, so she's lonely because her family died. Ready? So watch this why. Why does she think, ready, that Cesario can heal that pain? Oh, so more independent person. There's a little bit of independence. Not to, not, do we have something to write about there? Yeah, right? Go team. So, then, so some of this is going to be, you're going to hit a dead end, but don't just stop. Go a different direction with your yeah, why, and say, so wait, she's fawning over, or she wants Cesario to feel that pain. Will, ready? Will that work? Is that really what she needs? Is she just rebounding? Da, 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 da. We got a paper. Yeah? Go team. Malvolio in the dark house. Why did he end up there? Da, 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 da. Did he deserve it? Lots of options. So state the obvious. And then go beyond it and under it and around it and dig into it. Go team? Okay. So here's the part with the Velcro and the literary critical techniques. Okay. Just hang on. Try to listen and follow along. Don't be afraid to ask a question, but I'm just going to plow through them. One of the first one that's really fun and it's really easy is character analysis. You've probably done that in high school already. Character analysis. But you're looking for the epiphany or the wake-up moment. Did Malvolio have this great wake-up moment? And he learned a whole bunch. No. Ready? Why? <laughs> Did he have the opportunity to? Yeah, like six times, and he totally missed it. Why is he missing his epiphany? What's going on there? Are we tracking? Did Viola change at all from the beginning to the end of the play? Maybe. Maybe not. Did Festy change? How are, how are people growing? I think an interesting one would be Orsino. Did Orsino change it all from our, if music be the food of love, play on. Is he any different later? What caused that? Why is he not different? Could he have changed? We good? Tracking? But the, the character analysis is really great, but what you're looking for is motivation or relationships or personal growth. Reader response is really powerful. A lot of students like reader response. But often, in a literary critical setup, we don't really do reader, real reader response. Many of you have been told to just respond to the text. So I like, I like this part where you know, Viola takes off her mask, and she finds the freedom from it. And then all these great things happen. So maybe you just like that. Yeah? 
anybody potentially with Malvolio. I was, it was really sad when I saw him in that dark room with all of his dirty clothes and getting bullied by them. Personal response, yes, maybe. Or I thought it was hysterical when he misinterpreted the love letter and they were hiding in the bushes. Those are your responses, that's fine. Reader response is not that. A traditional reader response in the critical analysis sense is, I was really sad when I saw Malvolio locked up. I was kind of angry with the way that they bullied him. That's your response, ready? Reader response now is you need to analyze why did I respond that way? You have to go to that next level. So if you're gonna do reader response, you gotta go two levels. What's your response? Why did you respond? Because did you have to respond that way? And does everybody in the theater respond the same way? No. So why are you sad? And it might be, well, when I was in sixth grade, I was bullied. And, da, 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 da. and now you have a reader response. You're, you're analyzing why you responded the way that you responded. Yes? Okay. Close reading is super fun. Could you write a paper on Twelfth Night following just the word love? Just one word. Could you write a paper about love? How about the word fool? You see what's happening? Like a close reading is you get out the microscope and you look at just one. If music be the food of love, play on. That You could do that. Or many good hanging prevents a bad marriage. That's your thesis statement. Go. Right? So picking one quote, one moment, or one word, and you can write your whole paper. Close readings are fun. Pretty cool. Another one is symbolism and allegory. Um, we're used to that at a Christian school in some respects. Jesus tells these parables types of things all the time, right? So uh, this good classic is a sower grabbed his seed. He went out and he sowed his seed and some fell on the path and some fell in the thorns and then the rocks and the good soil. And you got it? Is it really about seed and stuff? I mean, yeah, but no, it's really about the kingdom of God and the word of God. Yeah, right? Can we do that with Twelfth Night? Could Twelfth Night be a parable that Jesus told? What would he be telling it for? What's the story behind the story of Twelfth Night? That's kind of fun. It's a clever way to write this. The other one, though, that I have to be careful introducing you to, some of you have already gone there, but could Twelfth Night be retold at Wheaton Academy? Do we have Arsinos? Do we have Violas? Do we have masks, literally? <laughs> do we have our Malvolios? Do we have our Tobies? Do we have our Festies? Like, could you go all the way down the line right here in the hallways? So what is that saying about our school? What does that mean? And so that's who's seen She's the Man? They actually do it. They take Twelfth Night and they reset it in a high school with soccer. Why? What are they saying? What does that say with, about the story and about the, the movie that they made? Yes? And you got the classic isms. These are the ones where you could literally just type these in and Google them, and you'll get all these articles, and et cetera, theory, Wikipedia, whatever. So psychoanalytic theory, anybody in AP Psych or a psych class? All right, motivations, internal motivations. If we go Freudian, is everybody, everybody just in this play just wants sex? That's what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing? Yes, no, somebody, maybe, <laughs> right? Or what is their motivation? Is it family? Is it pain? Is it a wound? Is it whatever? New criticism is finding the perfect interpretation. Eh, you can look that up if you want to. I think structuralism is really intriguing. Structuralism has to do with the power and structure of language. Who is able to use language the best in this play? Anybody? Who's really good with words and really good with language? Yeah, who? And how does he end up at the end? He's doing pretty good. Does that make sense? Like, because he can, master, he can use language well, he's able to avoid all the craziness and he's able to do what he wants to and he ends up at the end. Whew, he's okay. How's Andrew with language? Horrible. And how's he at the end? Yeah, right? How's Viola live with language? pretty good and she ends up marrying the duke right like so the, there's something with language that's really intriguing and the whole play is dialogue what does that mean yeah some of you will really like that one that one's really fun i like structuralism some of you will love deconstruction yes 
Who likes getting out the sledgehammer and pulling things apart and taking things apart? Some of you like dissecting in biology class because you want to pull it apart and see how it works. You can do that with this play. Pull it apart, see how it works, chop it up into little pieces. Just take the construct of marriage and what does Shakespeare do with marriage and how he un, you know, redoes it and reframes it and reworks it. You can deconstruct love. What does love really mean? What is love? Oh, sorry, horrible. All right, feminism. Yes, we must expose patriarchal dominance, please. Right, team? Yes? <laughs> Holy cow, we need to do this. And we also want to support feminine capabilities. And how is Shakespeare as a feminist, actually? Not bad. He has this girl dress up as a guy, and the girl does what? A lot of what the guy does. So girls can do stuff, right, girls? <laughs> like, hello, <laughs> right? Like, come on. And you were like, duh, we, we've come a long way. We still have a long way to go. I'm not sure our country can imagine, hello, can actually imagine a female president. I'm not sure that we're there yet. Well, what would that look like? And can girls be president? I don't know. At least there wasn't that long of a pause, right? And so just the capabilities and how things work. We've got a long ways to go. We've come a long ways. We don't want men to hate women, right? That's horrible. We also, feminism is not women hating men. Does that make sense? Like, that's, that's not feminism. That's, there's other terms for that. Feminism is helping and supporting and empowering women in a male-dominated culture, go team. And Shakespeare actually kind of rocks the house. Like, he does a decent job, not too shabby. Marxism, I already said it. Could everything in this play be motivated by money? But pause and think it through. Viola's marrying Ursino, why? Money. He's rich, right? Sebastian says yes to Olivia, why? Maria says yes to, t right? Maria marries, what's, uh, Toby, why? Festy is entertaining everybody, why? why? Andrew, right? Like, holy cow, stop them. It's like, you could almost say that it's all about money. And actually, is there a lot about money in our culture and in our world? And does money ha affect a lot of different things, right? And so in Elizabethan England, we're coming off of the feudal system in the Middle Ages, right? Money is changing and shaping culture in a really powerful way. Fair enough? You're not, you don't just have the king who's rich and everybody else. I mean, yes, but no, like it's, it's shifting. Well, where have we come in 400 years with money? What's Shakespeare saying about all that? Have a ball. Gender studies. We already talked a bunch about this stuff, right? Is there plenty to write about with gender studies in this, with femininity and masculinity and identity and marriage and Antonio and, yeah? I think the key to that one is if you're gonna go with gender studies, here at this school, it'd be a bummer for you not to talk about our identity in Christ at least. Is it compare and a contrast or something like that? You had a thought? It's like the subjects for Antonio, like, I feel like it's a really Well, he is. And, like, bring, bring in the subtext, I feel like it's sort of unnecessary. Because, like, did Shakespeare really write? Was that really his intention? Can we ever know that? I guess not. <laughs> but then, like, we could pull out so many other subtexts that are so, I don't know, somewhat unnecessary. Well, here's the key. If you pull out a subtext and you can't sustain it in the story, then is it really there? Come on. Is it? No. No. And so that's what, if you want to call me out on it, go ahead. We can, we can duke it up a little bit. But did anybody notice the subtext with Antonio? Like, is it there? But if you wouldn't have said it, I don't think yeah. I wouldn't have really thought about it. Okay, did everybody catch that? Ready? That's the point. <laughs> he did it so well that if you're not looking for it, did you see it? Or, or he didn't do it. Well, either one, but he did it so well that if you're not looking for it, you didn't, you didn't see it. Does that make sense? So could he get away with it? without getting caught. Hey, what? I didn't write about any of that stuff. No, we're good. <laughs> right? So he's that good of an author. In Henry V, we're going to get a subtext with the main character, with Henry as a good king 
and also this horrible evil king with the same character and the same words on the page and we're gonna duke it out which one is he and depending on how you look at it is what you're gonna find does that make sense so here's what I don't want you to leave with though this is really important I had a professor in college who said this is the interpretation and if you don't think so you're wrong I don't recommend this, but I actually ended up standing up in the middle of his lecture and walking out. I was so mad, right? I don't want that. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, could he have done that? Yeah, and is it possible? And do authors write subtext? So yes, yes, yes. I'm not saying it is one, but I'm offering it to you as an example of how subtext works and if someone wants to do it. To be really blunt, if you don't mind me being really blunt, I've been teaching Shakespeare for 25 years. I've studied Twelfth Night a lot. Are there articles and things written about this? Yeah, right? so it's almost like FYI, heads up, but when you get out there, it's all over the place, right? And in our culture, it's not even a subtext anymore. Does that make sense? So, helpful? Yeah, and there may be something to be said where if Shakespeare was right here, he's like, Dominguez, what the heck? No, Antonio's just a nice guy. I'm like, okay, sorry, right, whatever. And I'd be like, well, why did you write the whole, like, I die for you because I love you stuff. Well, that's because I feel about my friend. I'm like, okay, 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 right, like, maybe. But it's available, and that's what literary criticism does, so that's part of it. Maybe, maybe to a fault. Maybe to a fault, yeah. Great question, I appreciate that. Go team? Cool. I think one of the keys is, is that if it's not sustainable, then uh -uh, nice try. No way. Um, another one that I think is super fun is new historicism. Do we have any history buffs in the room? Anybody out there kind of like history? New historicism, maybe even take a minute just to Google it for a little bit. It's super cool because what it does is it takes our modern sensibilities and do we have a filter and a lens when we're looking at this? Like, yeah, so what it does is it's like trying to get rid of those filters and go back to Elizabethan England. What was it like to experience this play then? And what was maybe Shakespeare saying then? Maybe subtext was nowhere to be found. It wasn't on his mind at all, right? And so what am I doing, some crazy lit teacher, right? Because he was just writing about really good friendship or whatever, right? But what's in the play that represents Elizabethan England that you could dig into? I can give you one right off the cuff. COVID, pandemic, shaping culture, affecting our relationships. Black plague, <laughs> pandemic, shaping culture, culture, affecting their relationships. If you wanted to do a little bit of new historicism, you can look at how the plague affected this story. It's mentioned three or four times in the text. Got it? Pretty cool stuff. So there's plenty to dig around in. Shipwrecks. Oh, man, if you like Pirates of the Caribbean, do a little research, right? And look up ocean travel and shipwrecks back in Elizabethan England. Holy cow. There was a lot of shipwrecks and a lot of stuff going down back then with all their exploration. Um, one of my favorite pieces of new historicism is when we finally figured out that Mary, the mother of God, was probably 14, right? Because someone went back and looked at the actual cultural context of scriptures. I love it. Just recently, someone decided to do that with the disciples, and they talked to the rabbis, and they looked at the rabbinical method, and they looked, did the research in the Middle East and the time period and realized, wait a second, the disciples were probably 14, 15, 18, they're your age. I love that. That's so cool. I, like, now I know why I love high school students. They're amazing. Thank you, Jesus. That's why he picked you. Yeah? And, like, that's, that's encouraging because, you know, I grew up thinking there were all these 35-year-old adults or whatever following Jesus around and stuff. Like, no, no, they're teenagers ready to change the world. They'll drop their nets. Of course they will. So that, that's new historicism. I think some of you will really enjoy that. Yes, Miss Trot. Oh, it's okay. Well, are, if I'm gathering this part, we're supposed to be writing to one of the critics about something they said and like responding to what huh? you said. Is that correct? Yeah. You don't have to use any of this at all. Does that make sense? I'm just saying 
that for the past, I think it took, what is it, about 16 minutes, 17 minutes, I just gave you, hey, in case you don't know what to write about or have no clue on what we're talking about, this is a class on literature, here's common lit theory, and some of those things that I just listed are approaches you can take and so instead of just talking about drunkenness, I'm going to talk about drunkenness and Marxism. Does that make sense? Instead of just talking about disguise, I'm going to talk about disguise and feminism. Right? So you can start connecting some of these dots. And so what I've done for the past half hour plus is I set up your paper, and now I give you some boundaries on what I expect. And now you've got literary criticism from 300 years. You've got a bunch of literary critical theory to work with. You've got Mr. D available. You've got thesis statements that are rich and you know, deep. Go for it. What am I expecting? I just want a good paper. So if none of that helped, then flush it and move on and write your good paper. But I was just doing my part to try and set you up with lots of options. For some of you, it was just TMI. Does that make sense? But I wanted to give you lots of options, lots of avenues, maybe something stuck. Let the rest of it go and run with whatever stuck. If anything caught your eye or your ear from what I just said. Otherwise, thanks for listening. You got a little taste of lit theory. Sign up for a college class someday because it's super cool, right? And uh, move on with your life and move on with the paper. Does that, does that make sense a little bit there? So I, I used to spend three days, Mr. teaching all of this, and I don't. But had I done that, then I would be like, and pick one and write a paper. But now I'm just like, hey, this stuff's really cool, and it's all out there. And so some of you will like it, and you can run with it if you want to, if you need an idea. Is that helpful enough? Kind of. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm available. So I, if you have another question about one, you're like, I liked that whole you know, Marxism thing with money. That was cool. Can you help me understand that more? Sure. Right? And I'll come and help you, and we can incorporate it in there. We good? Okay. So we got still have some time in class. Let me just check this out. Yeah, we're good. Got it just over a half an hour. So let's do this, and I think this might help a little bit, Trot, potentially, or any of you. Grab what the critics say, and let's kind of put it all together now for maybe like 10 minutes or so, and then you have the rest of the class. So Anybody willing to share a cool quote that they found from what the critics say that inspired them or that they are thinking about responding to? Anybody got one? Oh, come on, there's so many good quotes. <laughs> yeah, what do you got? Um, we are all actors assuming various roles with various degrees of confidence. Nice. <laughs> I mean, that's part I was like, there's some good criticism here. Why did you pick that quote? What, what caught your eye in that one? connect that with social media, and now you've got a dissertation, don't you? <laughs> like is, is there plenty to write about there? Yeah? And so do we really know the characters? Literally on stage they're putting on masks, but all the world's a stage. Now you're connecting that. So Yeah? Nice. And so what you could do, too, is take that quote and then one of those critical theories and maybe even start connecting those. How do we put on masks in order to gain upward mobility for money? But then we're trapped in those, like oh, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, kind of cool. Thanks, Howard. Someone else? Yeah, you got one. Um, Here, let's. Do, I should have had him do this. Which one is it? Where are we? Um, it's right before the 2000 starts. It's okay, so we're. It's 1997. 1997. All right. Who is it? Um, John. Sorry, my, um, uh, John Kerrigan. Okay, great. Cheers. Yep, we got it right here. Um, 
Um, Viola did not explicitly disguise herself in men's clothes to avoid sexual predators. While she may share this motive, this deed points towards a practical desire to secure a court position and an impulse to escape from herself. And it does so by becoming Cesario. She helped to leave Viola the dream in secret. That is, paradoxically, why her suit to serve the Duke can resemble Olivia's allurement. This has the Countess resolves to withdraw from a non sexuality and thus becomes a cloister, so Viola proposes to be a phoenix, if not first the kingdom of heaven, then at least the All right. Why do you think of that one? I thought it was an interesting idea that she is not really disguising herself from others, but disguising herself from herself. Yes. Um, and how she, and I feel like all of us kind of do that, like kind of like wanting to hide from our problems yeah. sometimes, and she does that to the highest degree. Yeah. Kind of, kind of fascinating to dig into a little bit there, right? Is I take the whole, I don't want to get hurt off the stage. And my motivation now is this whole other world of motivation, which we're all in and trying to deal with all the time. Yeah. Cheers. Let's give it up. Okay. Good. Yeah. Visker, what do you got? Um, there's a lot of big words That's okay. Which one is it? Which one are you on? Where is it? Oh, sorry. Um, no. I'm on page three. It's the last one. Okay, page three. I know which one you're talking about. It's really good. Okay, keep going. Um, page yeah. The, the, yeah. Okay, <laughs> and drops heavily into his worldly self again. The essential action of rebels is to surf, surf, fight. <laughs> yeah, surf fight, right? Uh, Fighting. The self will emerge at the conclusion of the action from where it has been hidden. The movement of the play is toward this emergence of humanity from behind a massive comic Ooh, yeah. Why do you like that one besides all the big words? Yeah, um, it reminds me of like Sir Toby and Maria and how it's talking about like how your actions like reveal a lot about yourself and like it will all like come back to you like at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I uh, I like this one too. There's a lot about the revels, right? About the party. You guys catch that? A lot of these quotes are about this concept of partying, either being shut down, or as escape, or or as the issue. And I like. What's it like in our culture having the bars shut down and we can't do big parties and we're not supposed to hang out near each other because we have our masks on? Have we lost something in our culture now that we've lost that? Or have we gained something because we got rid of the drunken parties? I don't know. Yeah? Cheers. All right. How about one or two more? Yeah, what do you got? Which, which one is it? Which one is it? Page one. Wait. Oh, page two? I think it's the last one on page one. Okay, that's great. Why'd you pick that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, when I read this packet, I don't agree with over half of them. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, no way. Like the one that says Malvolio should take his life? Are you kidding me? He's got way many other options, right? So I like that. You're like, wait, um, sorry, Thomas Kenny, 1864. I think it's got amazing imagination, and it's very naturally truthful. And then you just need to do what now? Support that. Yeah? Go team? Are we seeing how this works? Yes? 
There's one in here. I can't find it for some reason. I've read it now twice, and I might have chopped it for some reason. I don't know why I would have done that. But does anybody see the one where it has Malvolio, and he's talking to the actors and actresses, and he does a full 180 turn, and he goes, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you. So now he's talking to who? The audience. Oh, I read that quote and I was like, I would have hated to be there in that moment. Because what did the audience do for three hours? They sat there and watched and did nothing. And you're like, yeah, but wait, I can't go on stage. It's like a play. Oh, yeah. What other excuse are you going to come up with, too? Because we all come up with excuses to not get involved with the bullying, right? And you're just like, oh, it's so good. Like, that's literary criticism right there. It's so good. Yes? Or the one where it says, the laughter at the wrong places. <laughs> and you're like, oh, all right. Almost like Shakespeare's doing that on purpose, seeing who will laugh at what. Yeah. We getting how this works? Are we seeing it? Um, let me give you guys one or two tips here. Okay. For example, on the top of page two, Montegut, right? I love that one. We are all in varying degrees insane. So fun, right? You may wanna, by the way, right? <laughs> Aren't we all? And if you don't think you're insane, exactly. You're really insane then. That's the worst kind of insanity. I at least know I'm insane, right? I can laugh about it. Uh, but I love that, like, we're all, is it the good kind of insanity or the bad kind of insanity? I'm like, ooh, that's a cool paper right there. But what you don't wanna fall into is this trap a lot of students like to say, everybody, here, this is the other one, page three, every character has a mask. Great. If you were to write that as your thesis statement, every character in you know, the play has a mask because they're trying to get happiness and that's the only way they can get it. How long will that paper have to be? Like 30 pages? Because if you're going to write about every character, no way. Does that make sense? So you guys, this is like a five paragraph essay. So if you want to say everybody's insane or everybody's got a mask, you, you can say it. I agree. Everybody has a mask. And these two characters with their masks help me understand the consequences of masks in this way. Does that make sense? So pick a character or two characters. That's manageable. You do yourself a much, much greater service by narrowing and tightening your thesis statement versus trying to keep it big and broad, especially for a short paper like this. Questions, thoughts, comments? Do we know what we're doing? Cool. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm now going to stop talking. You've got the rest of class just under a half an hour, all right? And you can get started. You can either do your homework if you didn't get the quote things done. You can post your quotes. You can start working on thesis statements. I'm available if you have further questions. If you're feeling a little overwhelmed right now, we can chat in the hall or I can tuck you down. Right? If you're a little lost, I'm available to help you get found. Or if you're like, hey, I wrote this thesis statement. What do you think, Mr. D? And guess what? I get to play. Yeah, why? Yeah, why? I can, I can come and do yeah, why with you, and we can dig in and make it nice and meaty if you would like. Agreed? I have gotten this question in every class. So why are we doing two for Monday? Because it's English class. <laughs> I want you to practice. Yes? So that's why. Um, it also get, lets me see your thesis statements and say, I know you want to do that one. This one's better. Or you didn't do yeah, why, did you? And like, yeah, I did yeah, why five times. Oh. Let's do it again, you know. Or, wow, awesome thesis statement. Go, go, go. Yes. You're welcome to start whenever you want to, but that at least lets us on Monday talk a little bit about what you found and what you're thinking. And yes, you can, of course, change it later and write whatever you want to write about. Okay? Sweet. Nice job. Thanks for listening. You guys rock. Kind of want to say have fun, right? Some of you in the room have really worked hard on this. You've watched, you've read it a couple times, you've done your homework. That's honestly more than some of these critics have probably done. Some of them showed up and watched the play and then wrote about it. Maybe studied it and read it through once, right? And you guys have, for four plus weeks, dug into it. You have stuff to say. Oh, one last thought. I knew I'd have a one last thought. 
If you want to use the Bible, maybe you want to quote Paul, the apostle. Is he, does he have authority? Is he warranted evidence? Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's a genius, right? So yes, it's warranted evidence. 1 Corinthians 13 on love is a great passage to use. This is not you creating a little devotional thought. This is an analytical researched paper. So if you want to use the Bible as scholarly warranted evidence to support your claim on love or drunkenness or whatever, there's plenty in Proverbs and plenty in the Bible as really good evidence, but you have to use it as a scholarly source, not just tap on a verse and think you used your source. Everybody got that? If you don't know the difference, come and talk to me, but there's a huge difference. Yes? Yeah, that's why I did that for that reason. Just write it, have some fun, make it personal, keeps it a little simpler. If you're going to publish it, we'll have to get rid of those, so whatever. Yeah, but I like having an audience. I think that's really important. And then also making it personal, it's just more funner, right? Yeah, maybe. If you're stuck on all that, then chuck it all and just write your English paper class for class, right? That's fine. I don't really care. Cheers. All right. I'm going to put on some tunes. You can too. And uh, I'm available.